Welcome to the Ordinary Youth Ministry Podcast, where we are cultivating conversations about our world that help us impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. Your hosts are me, Ellen Vosberg, Andrew Unger, and John Mark Smith. This week, we're diving deeper into our topic we discussed last time to convince Andrew why he's wrong about curriculum. <laughs> if you'd like to... <laughs> there is no article for the show notes. Sorry. John Mark, do you have an icebreaker for us today? <laughs> On that note, yes. As we get started today, I, I was uh, thinking about if you were a talk show host and you were starting your show and you had the social political, whatever capital necessary to get anybody you wanted as your first guest on your show, who would you guys invite to be on? Maybe because you want to talk to them, maybe because you think they make your show successful. Who would you invite on your talk show host? Do they have to be alive right now? I mean, honestly, I don't know. If you want to do a creepy show where you have like a corpse up there, I guess you can invite anyone you want. Are you a necromancer? I think living is kind of a necessary part of the conversation on a late night show. I just didn't know if we were allowed to get historical here. I mean, no, let's let's, let's keep to living people. All right, I can jump in. Um, I would invite Stephen Colbert onto my talk show because he seems like an excellent conversationalist, and I would just love to talk to him about stuff. Um yeah, I think he'd be a fascinating person. This feels that feels like cheating. <laughs> Why? Like you would end up doing all the work for you. Okay, so he's already a late night talk show host. I would one hundred percent invite the person I thought who was most likely to spill the beans on some secret project that I want to know about. Some some like Star Wars or Marvel. You know, Tom Holland's got a reputation for being really bad at keeping secrets. So, you know, maybe get him on there and just like really apply some psychological games until he spills the beans about the next Spider-Man or Marvel movie or something. That's That would give me some big ratings, too, I think. You heard it here first, folks. First episode, too. <laughs> Bombshell. Okay, I think I'm going to take this opportunity hosting a late-night TV show to um, interview Beyonce because Beyonce. Would you not feel intimidated? I would feel intimidated talking to Beyonce. Oh, I'm sure. But like, you know, I, I would prepare ahead of time. I would have my questions. I'm sure they would be vetted by her publicist. I think I could do it. What if do you could? Um, how old is Beyonce? Do you, um, um, do you like music? <laughs> is that is what you would Ivy... be like, John Mark? <laughs> that would be me. Is Blue Ivy old enough now to... How old is Blue Ivy's her oldest, right? Mm-hmm. How old is she's got to be like conversation In youth age? Group? <gasps> <laughs> next icebreaker question What would you do if Blue Ivy was in your youth group? <laughs> Stay tuned for next episode. Spoiler <laughs> It's a trick question, Andrew. If you change what you do for a guest, you're doing the wrong thing to start or to change. Oh, wow. Yeah, but particularly ministry, ministry to particular people requires appreciating their context. And you know what? Being the daughter of Beyonce would require unique pastoral care. That's a good point. Not favoritism. Pastoral care, but not like, let's scrap our whole program and do something different for her. 
That's anyway, it. we'll talk about this more next episode because I, I have more thoughts on on youth ministry to Blue Ivy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of content our listeners will really appreciate. Is let me give a specific person. Here's how you minister to them. The week after that, we're going to do John from down the street, and the week after that, Sally. You know, we're just going to help you know how to do ministry. This is going to be a. Uh, four billion part podcast. We're going to eventually get through everybody. <laughs> send us the person. Everybody send us on Twitter, whoever you want us to talk about youth ministry to. This will drive engagement. <laughs> hey, Andrew, do you want to summarize? <laughs> yeah. What I'll... we talked about last time before we get into what we're talking about this time. All right. So before Ellen corrects me publicly, um, last time we talked about, <laughs> my my preferred and rejected name for our podcast which was slow youth ministry and um talked about the difference between uh formation and sort of content focused so i sort of talked about these two different approaches to youth ministry one which is about like slow formation and um habits and things like that um about how we we approach faith which is the the sort of sticky faith the the way that i have sort of leaned into youth ministry and then what I was rejecting, uh, which was a more content focus that the, the goal of youth ministry is to get all the right doctrine and theology and ideas into students head. And so we had to double down on teaching content. Um, Ellen, however, thinks I'm radically incorrect and wants to publicly reject my, uh, my ideas. That's what I got. What you got? Okay. No. <laughs> First of all, you grossly just no. We're done, guys. <laughs> See you next time. It's over. You grossly mischaracterize my issue with your stance. You're an extremist. Um. <laughs> That's true. I'm just going to call you names for the rest of the podcast. Hey, yeah, let's let's have some more ad hominem attacks. That will really help this yeah. conversation. Okay, I'm trying to pull up the... I should have done this before. I apologize. Um, I'm trying to pull up the liturgy for confirmation in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, because here's the deal. You're right. Apologetics is not how we keep people in the faith. I, I, I think there may be, I, I'm willing to allow that there, there's maybe a small subset of people in the world who, like, those are questions that are really important to them. And when somebody changes their mind, maybe then they come to faith. Or maybe then it somehow solves, like, a feeling of doubt for them. Mm. I, I don't want to deny that that can be an important component. But I think that, that, that you're right that formation is more important and is ultimately likely more successful in actually discipling people such that our students remain Christians for the long term. Or, or at least then have a path for journeying deeper into a relationship with Christ. Um, it sort okay. of sets, sets a good foundation. But I think what you miss... <laughs> In being so, um, like, anti-plan your content 
is that you miss the responsibility that the church has to teach what are the things of the church. So, so yes, having a relationship with God is one of those things. And how to cultivate that, we have lots of strategies, and it's important to teach those to our students, to give them those tools. But it is also important, and part of our role as the church, that we teach people the Bible, that we teach people the creeds, <laughs> that we teach them what what we believe. Um, because otherwise, like, what is, who, who is the Jesus that you know if you if you do not know uh, his word um, and the the his church, because that because that's really what the what the creeds, what our tradition of Christian theology is, it is the the word of the church on Christ over the centuries, and that's important to us, right? When we, um, you know, present our teenagers, like our young people or anyone really, for confirmation, like part of what they have to affirm (laughs) is that they like know the New and Old Testament, (laughs) that they know the content of the gospel, (laughs) um, that they are familiar with and can affirm the creeds. (laughs) Um, And I think like we have a, like it's come to light over the past couple of decades that we have a severe biblical literacy problem in the church. Um, And like biblical literacy is something that like culturally people, at least in the United States used to have more facility with. And that has really gone away significantly. And what researchers have discovered is that that is also true. Like that's true of the general population and that's matched inside the church. Um, so it, it's arguable whether or not we ever had high levels of biblical literacy or like if people like, were, if people have just come, become more culturally c- comfortable with admitting that they don't know the Bible. But I, but I think it's a problem <laughs> that adult Christians, like especially, especially the kind of adult Christians who are raised in the church, do not know the Bible. Um like like the church is failing <laughs> failing her people when when it does not give them the bread <laughs> right <laughs> the word of god is the like very bread that we live on um and like that applies to christ as well but once again what jesus do you believe in if you do not know him by his word um and so i think youth ministry gives us a really unique opportunity and this honestly extends back into children's ministry. I think you you do it in different ways developmentally along the way. Um, but but we have what is almost a captive audience for this number of years. And so we have the opportunity to expose them to all different parts of the canon so that someday when they're a 30-year-old sitting in their like adult Bible study, they don't say like, oh, I've never read any of the Old Testament prophets before. <laughs> or I've never read any of Paul's letters. Like, like these are things I've heard actual adults say in church context. And I like I appreciate that those adults are willing to be vulnerable and honest. Like that's like um like I don't think that those people are failing in their Christianity. I think that they have been failed. Um so I don't want anybody to hear me say <laughs> 
(laughs) that those people are bad or they've done something wrong. That's not true. Um, But um, I think we have an obligation as youth workers and youth pastors to to bring our students into the tradition of the church. And so so I think that means that we we take the opportunity to read with them um, different parts of the Bible, um, that, that they leave our ministries and can um, have at least had the opportunity to be exposed to all of the like most important aspects of Christian theology. Like they have heard about these doctrines along the way, not not in and of themselves as doctrines. Like, I don't necessarily want them to be able to define Christology, but I want them to be able to tell me who Jesus is and what he has done. I want them to be able to tell me who the Holy Spirit is and what role he plays in our lives. Like, like I want them to be able to articulate something about the, the Trinity. They should, I think they should be able to, to summarize the, the overall narrative of the Bible in some sense um, and understand our relationship to the Bible understand what the church is, what the church's role is, why the church is important. And so so what I'm talking about are, are really basic, but I think it's important to plan ahead such that you have a cycle so that every every three or four years or every six or seven years, like there are multiple philosophies for how to break this down, but that they've had the opportunity to hear about these things, to be exposed to them. I think there are certain things that we'll want to make sure get get in that cycle more than once. Like, I think there are yeah. some things that we should hit every year. Um, and there are some things that maybe we hit every, once every six years. You know, I, I, like, I think we can establish a priority. Um, but yeah, I, I think they should walk away with a, a basic understanding of their faith. Um, yeah, what it means. So that's my argument for content. Uh, and, and I think that fits into because, like, knowing these things, yeah. understanding these things, those are all aspects of our formation. So that's why I'm saying it's not separate from what you want to do. I think it's a component, an important component of what you want to do, and that they actually work together well. And that's how you develop a, an enduring and lasting faith. <laughs> nice. Nice use of our, of our intro script there. Um, yeah, so I I like actually a lot of what you said because I think um I think you're right. I don't think I don't think content is opposed to formation and I I oversell my my point when I talk about this kind of stuff. But I think it's interesting the kinds of things you mentioned because I think it helps me figure out what are the, what is it that I'm yelling about? <laughs> what am I arguing against? What is the 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 thing I'm mad about? So things like you mentioned like who is Jesus that that they worship. There's this excellent book called The Jesus Gap by Jen Bradbury. It's a few years old. Um, she was a youth minister, I think, at a Lutheran church in Glen Ellen. I can't remember. Um, but I think this was part of graduate level work she did where she d- interviewed students to find out like what they believe about Jesus. And she put together six caricatures of Jesus. Like there was the sort of generic teacher Jesus, the spiritual guru Jesus. Um, I mean, just really interesting pictures and they were all true things about Jesus, but like insufficient on their own. Like if your Jesus looks exactly like Mr. Rogers, that's a critical piece of who Jesus is, that sort of comforting, welcoming presence. Um, But that loses all the woes he pronounces on the Pharisees, right? So that was a huge part. I like that you also mentioned the whole canon, Um, like the idea of being introduced to different parts of scripture. Um, And I guess it it helps me think the the pitfall I want to avoid maybe 
is, I mean, some of it's an overemphasis on Paul, not that we, not that Paul's letters aren't really important for the foundation of our theology, but there's sometimes an overemphasis on Paul because he becomes very quotable and you can find, there's lots of verses you can kind of memorize from Paul. Um, but even the way you teach Paul can sometimes miss the point. Um, I think what I struggle with is, and, and I'm, I'm wrestling with it now as I put together my plan for the fall. Um, you only have so many weeks. And so yeah. it feels like, especially as I try to start to incorporate more, more um, spiritual practices, more Lectio Divina events, my students have responded really well to what we call Ask Andrew Nights, where they just get to bring up whatever questions they want and we can talk about them and I can sort of meander around. Um, they really respond well to that. And I think that helps them engage, um, engage their faith in what they're dealing with. But of course, we know that only relevant youth ministry talks will miss some of the things that you're talking about, some of those foundational pieces that we need to know, whether or not they're kind of fun and immediately applicable in the moment. Um, so it's hard to figure out. I mean, even just the things you mentioned, I, I immediately think, man, how would I, how do I find the time for all of this? So I think that's why ideologically I end up lapsing into like, let's, let's focus on methodology because I just don't have enough time to cover all the content that I wish they would know. And I'm kind of trusting that they're going to get some of this later. Um, so maybe the, my, my sort of follow-up curiosity question is how do you guys then think through what to cover? Um, some of it needs to be covered multiple times, right? Like how do you figure out how to plan out your curriculum? How do you know that you've covered everything you need to cover? How do you prioritize and create a, a sort of hierarchy of stuff that needs to be repeated regularly? What do you think that process looks like? Well, I think those are good questions. <clears throat> and one of the things I do agree with you, Andrew, is, is that I think in youth ministry, we have to take our teaching task very seriously, which is Ellen's point, and also recognize we are not the only ones responsible for teaching students. Because as soon as I start to feel like I have to teach them everything, I feel like I can't teach them anything mm. because it's just too much. I mean, um, my uh, we, we do two things at my church. We do a Sunday morning foundations class where it's very specifically focused on some of what Alan's talking about, the foundations. And for the uh, it's on a cycle plan for th three years. And the first two years are just Old Testament and New Testament. We're just surveying those the old testament and the new testament and then the third year will be kind of be like theological foundation so you know not going through and then so we do that every week but that is a very short time because it happens during the service it has to be over by the time communion starts um, and then we do a once a week sunday afternoon you know youth group thing but we actually have this whole complex formula where it's you know four weeks a month but two of them are small group teaching one is a service project and one's a social event. So it happens at the same time every week, but we're rotating what we do. And we could talk about why another time. But when I looked at that, I mean, we only have nine teachings in that program the whole year. Hmm. Nine. So, so I, I, all that to say, I feel your, I feel your, like, what do I do in that time? Um, yeah. What do I cover? Those are, those are real questions. And so it's important to both take that seriously and to really think through, as Alan's reminding us, like, what do I need to cover? And 
to give ourselves grace to say, I'm not the only one teaching these students. And, right. and if my youth ministry has to do all of this, even if I did it, it would be a failure because it meant that no one else was teaching them. Yes. And so we have to, we have to say, what's the role of parents? What's the role of their involvement with the larger church? What's those roles? What are they doing? What's our children ministry doing? Our children's pastor at Redeemer, we've got to start meeting saying, hey, what do we want our scope to be? Not just like all the way through. What are the things that we need to be able to say, by the time you get to middle school, we're, we're trusting you've learned this because I got to move on. You know, so it, it is a collaborative thing. And I think, so that doesn't answer your question, but I think it's an important reminder as we start saying, we can't do everything, just like you said. And we have to say, who are the other players and what are we reasonably expecting them to do? Um, and with parents, I know that is hard because some parents are doing above and beyond where I'm sometimes like, you guys chill out, it's fine. And the other <laughs> parents where I'm like, uh, they've straight up told me like they don't talk about God in their home. So, hmm. you know, there's a big spectrum. There, and that's, that's, I think, where the real challenge comes in is that it's not just answering what are we teaching, but what are we teaching given that our students are going to have experience of significant spectrum of learning outside of youth ministry and at home. So that's where I, that's why I contribute at this moment. It's just kind of the sense of like, yeah, I agree. And it's really hard, um, but we have to be gracious to ourselves too, to remember we're not the only ones responsible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you didn't give me a content answer, but you did give me some interesting methodology. So <laughs> I, I liked that a lot. Uh, <laughs> I can give you content. I gave you content. I said, we're going through, we did Old Testament survey. We're New Testament survey. We're doing a whole year next year of like foundational theological points. I gave you content, Andrew. Look, let right, me make my sarcastic joke. <laughs> Just let and, it happen. John Mark's point is right. Like I'm, I'm presenting to you like an idealistic vision of like these are, like this is the big i these are the big ideas of what we need to bring to the table. But yeah, I certainly don't don't intend for that responsibility to fall entirely on youth pastors and youth workers, right. um, because. Honestly, uh, a much better vision of youth ministry is not youth ministry. It's like family ministry. It's a church yep. ministry. It's like this is ultimately the responsibility of the church. Um, and, and so so we have to work together. And, and that's the ways in which like the systems we've built over time sometimes work against this vision. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that uh what we're doing what i'm proposing like has to also have a like a parental discipleship component to it and that's a, that's a part of it that i um haven't really figured out how to do um cuz as not the youth pastor i don't make those kind of decisions i don't create those kind of structures but um and like then trying to get parents to engage in them is Mm -hmm. like even a completely different question and right. challenge. Um, oh, that's what we have to say. We we provide resources, but we can't control what families do. Right, exactly. And so I think I think whatever you decide to do like even even as you're emphasizing formation, like there ought to be a family resourcing component to that too. Like, hey, this is what we do at youth group. Maybe take it home and do it with your family too. Or like we need to be like equipping our our adults to also do the daily office so that they know how to do it with their kids, you know? Yeah. Like, 
like it's all a part of it and like it's true they're getting like especially in our in our liturgical context our students are hearing at least weekly a psalm a portion of the gospel something from the old testament something from the new testament so so we don't have to give them all of the bible (laughs) yeah you know they're we we work in tandem with these other components. Yeah, a lot of the raw but material is all there. We can't leave that component entirely to Sunday morning either. That's also what I'm saying, because that's not enough. Yeah, well, I think that it's interesting, Andrew, because earlier what you were describing is like, hey, you're really kind of reacting against a specific version of content-driven um, ministry that really emphasizes intellectual ascent, which kind of drives you to Paul because he's really heady, right? Yeah. And Alan's saying, hey, you know, we still have to disconnect. I wonder if maybe the solution here is partly in how we phrase and think about what our goal is mm-hmm. in youth ministry. Um, and I I'm wor- workshopped, obviously, our own youth ministry's kind of goal and visions. And so, um, but when I think about it, it's like what we're talking about here is really what we want to do is foster a love for the scripture in our students Mm -hmm. and when you say it that way Mm. what you're saying is this has to have content and this has to have a methodology wedded together because i'm not just saying i want you to know the scripture and i'm not just saying oh i want you to love jesus which unfortunately is a phrase that can kind of mean nothing (laughs) which is really unfortunate because loving jesus ought to be something that means a lot (laughs) But love Jesus is sort of like oh, that vague way of saying, yeah, care about things. So, but if I say, I want you to love scripture, for example, that's something of saying, I need, you can't love what you don't know. Right. But if you know it, but haven't been given a good methodology, you're not going to love it because I know that I've experienced that firsthand, right? So, so love of, I think what we're really talking about is what does it mean to, to love scripture or, um, you know, to treasure it in your hearts, to use the Psalms, right? Mm-hmm. Like to treasure scripture. Like yeah. that's that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad yeah, you bring I, that up because like that, I mean, I actually do think of that as one of my spiritual gifts, which might be why like this is always my soapbox. <laughs> because <laughs> when, I, when I talk about and teach the Bible, what I hear over and over and over again from people is that they can tell how much I love the Bible. <laughs> Um, right. how much, I, how much, yeah, like that I have an enthusiasm for it. Um, and like, like hopefully like that is contagious. Like, I, like I want to be able to give that to other people. And so like, like that's what I'm hoping to give to youth. Um, and I think we can do that. Like, I think that should be a goal of a youth ministry too. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad you bring up love, John Mark. Yeah. And I think part of, Part of what helps do this, and we talked about the family as an important place where this happens. I think part of it is also having a whole church culture that sees learning as a trajectory, right? Like in some ways, there are people who there are people who grow up, go to children's ministry, and they go to VBS, and they go to Wednesday night program, and they go to youth group, and they go every week, and then they and then they graduate, and then like it's it's they wouldn't say I'm done learning about scripture, but they no longer have programs they no longer have resources or outlets they're sort of like okay i learned all the things and now i'm just going to hear the sermon every week and that's going to be the thing that i learn from and so part of it is hopefully developing a whole church culture where where these students 
see adults who are saying, man, I just, <laughs> I just learned this amazing new thing, or I just grew in, in this capacity. Um, and I think part of that is even a discipleship trajectory that says it's not about in and out. It's not about having arrived at Christian maturity, but it's sort of, are you consistently um, saying yes to Jesus? And are you consistently saying, I have more to learn from scripture? I have more to learn from the same passages of scripture. I have parts of scripture I have not learned enough about, right? Like there's just developing that. And maybe that is a resource, hopefully for, for parents as well to say, hey, there are there are accessible resources. There are ways that you can engage in scripture regularly. There are ways, um, like I, I really think the For Everyone commentary series is such a wonderful accessible resource because mm-hmm. it's broken up into little snippets. It's like quality scholarship. Um, that always feels like a really helpful starting place, but it's not the, like there's just, part of that is us knowing how to resource parents, families, right church as well so knowing the bible is not a like it's also a lifelong journey (laughs) like you can't there's not a point at which we you know know the whole bible (laughs) Um, (laughs) right like like it's better to think of it i think on a scale of fluency um like you're never gonna like the the bible is a living (laughs) like a breathing thing and it has depths we can't even begin to fathom. Um, and so like, it, yeah, if anything, yeah. What, what I, what I want is for the people of the church to catch a vision for the fact that like they need to be swimming in this always. Um, yeah. Here's my question now then based on our conversation, is it possible to delineate kind of things that, the church and specifically the youth ministry ought to be teaching regarding developing love of scripture versus families? Or if not, is it simply one of those things that you're going to have to discern based on your church context and what families are doing, which mm-hmm. I wanted to be the former and I kind of expect it's the latter. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think you're probably right that that's how it breaks down. Because my immediate my immediate thought was like, well, and you also have to sort of tailor it to what where your people are. Because um, I I think that there, I mean, as I started out with our biblical literacy program, like or problem, like there are like our parents don't know the Bible either, <laughs> um, so we can't. <laughs> there's only so much we can expect people to do when they are also not equipped to do it. Um, but yeah, that, that's an interesting question I haven't thought about. So Andrew, do you have a word? Yeah. <laughs> Andrew so, always has ideas. Well, I, I, was, I was remembering the other day that I had a friend in grad school who, would, who said, while we were, before we got in the class, he's like, you know, the thing I like about Andrew is not doing the reading never stops him from contributing to conversation in class. <laughs> um, I would like rapidly skim the chapter as other people were answers, answering so I could like get the gist of what we were talking about and then pull up some quotes. It's sorry, graduate school professors. Sometimes I didn't do the reading. Um, they so probably knew. They, they knew. Um, so I, I, I think this is going to feel a little bit circuitous, but stick with me. When I think about um, how to use retreats well, I always think retreats give us 
two unique things that a weekly program doesn't. One is time, the other is distance, right? So when I'm on a retreat, I can either lean into I have lots of time and try and teach more, or I can lean into I have distance, which gives a better opportunity for reflection. And so I, I choose to lean into distance. The question of what happens at home and what happens in youth group, I have to think, what are the unique things that a gathering of youth group has as a unique, like, what does that context give us? This is just design thinking, right? Form and function. This is a unique, a different form. So what functions can it have because of its form? I think there is something about, this is going to sound the opposite of what I usually say. There's something about having everybody together that lends towards a more classroom feel, right? Like you can, you have students who are all going to be sitting there. They're expecting to listen to you talk for an amount of time. When I'm at home, my, my son is used to me just talking at him sometimes, but like, that's a little, that's inorganic for me to like, take time to start talking theology to Luke. Um, like we don't, some families have that kind of thing and, and good for them. Um, but there, that's not what, what I typically have. So I think there's something about, about youth group that lends the ability to have the, the more didactic, I'm going to teach you a couple of things moments, right? Like there is something about that, that we can talk about. So some of the stuff we talk about in confirmation classes, some of the going through the creeds, um, th there's a classroom setting in youth ministry. And so we can kind of lean into that. Um, at the same time, of course, I think that can be done in such a way that invites conversation that teaches theology that's less about facts and figures and is more about <laughs> engaging the metaphors we have to describe the ineffable God um, and say, here are the here's what's been revealed to us, and let's try and wrestle with that. Um, Andrew, yeah, can I, I ask you a quick question? Yes. Okay, so this is just to help me make kind of think through this, what you're saying about like, I agree with you in terms of like the average family in terms of what they're providing versus, versus what the school. Here's my question, because I don't know if this is something I picked up because of the particular context in which I grew up or not or what, but you know, there was sort of this kind of goal that a, that a good Christian parent, which sounds horrible even to say, but like a good Christian parent is like a parent who is being intentional about teaching their kids scripture and theology, like in a very intentional way. Um, and so that's something I've always internalized is like, that's what I ought to be striving for. And I don't often do it as well as I ought, think I should, but that's something I should do. I'm curious for you guys. And specifically as you're thinking about as a youth in youth ministry, is that something that you would say you reasonably would hope and expect a, a mature godly parent to do? Or would you say, no, like, I mean, parents are going to talk about faith, but realistically they don't have that same kind of teaching responsibility. I think they have that responsibility and that option, but the manner in which it happens looks more like an apprenticeship than a classroom, right? Like I'm trying in the moments, or I find at least it's more natural and seems to be the, this function follows the form of parenting where if, if my kids and I are out and a problem comes up, we talk about what we're doing. We have a little meta conversation about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and it's sort of like on the way, as you're going, you sort of are explaining it. This is why we do this. Um, that seems a little bit more normal. Now that the province, the, I think the, it's the next generation leadership initiative has put this together. It might be some other part of the, the provincial, um, next generation stuff put together this, um, 
the Catechism and Family Prayer booklet, um, where it sort of has the components of family prayer and questions from our catechism, the To Be a Christian, um, with the intent to provide it as a resource for families. Uh, my biggest complaint with it, and I said this to them, um, <laughs> so I registered this to them directly. Um, it's It's got all the elements of family prayer, but it's not explicit enough that they're borrowing family prayer from the prayer book. And so I don't think it directs people to the prayer book enough. Mm. It feels like its own independent resource with some helpful prayers. And I feel like I even, I felt like I wasn't even part of the committee. I didn't have any say in this, but I felt like they should even make the formatting look like the prayer book, not looking like its own design so that it's got visual cues to like, oh, this is this is family prayer from our book of common prayer that we're using. Um, I, I, I sense that the the logic was the prayer book doesn't look quite as family accessible and this will be designed to sort of feel like a family resource. And I don't know. I don't know why they did what they did. No one asked, no one asked me to be the king of everything. So I guess I don't get to determine these things, but um, their loss. Uh, but that, that resource exists, I think to provide, provide an inroad to something that looks a little bit more formal. It's like you're sitting at the table, you have the resource like, okay, we're going to do this. It's like a little devotional book. Um, we've given out, little devotional books for advent to do like the jesse tree thing um you know it's got so i think that can be a resource to kind of be a bit more like that christian ideal that you're describing john mark um Mm -hmm. but i don't know if i don't know if we're just if i'm just a bad christian parent but i don't find i often feel like it's hard it's hard to to make that happen to sort of have okay now's the bible teaching time the, the closest is sort of like okay we're going to read scripture before before dinner and just talk about it um and we've been we've been including that which has some success but there does need to be a ritual to it and it's just i don't know sometimes it's hard as a family to to introduce new rituals so i i think it's both um definitely as a parent it seems like you should be um, you know, always looking for opportunities to talk about all kinds of things with your, with your children related to faith and other larger questions of life and, and looking for ways to integrate that as like they encounter it in their experiences and in your experiences as a family. But I do think, um, so so maybe our podcast listeners don't know this, but I am becoming a parent later this year. And as I've been thinking about how, as as my husband and I have been thinking about how we will disciple our family and our children, um, there's a family that I have found that I would like to emulate what they do. Um, Thank you. I very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is John, Mark, and Chris Smith. No. <laughs> no. Um, it, it is a family that I'm not, I'm not going to name because I don't have their permission to talk about this necessarily, even though I don't think they would mind. But um, when I have stayed with them, um, I have been able to observe their like family daily faith rituals. And one of those is that they like have breakfast together every morning and they do morning prayer. And what they, um, and, and they, they, they adjust it slightly. And they've even told me that like, it, it's kind of evolved as their children have aged developmentally. Like they started it with their very, very young, like toddlers and infants. Um, and so it was like pretty basic and it's become more robust as they're now mostly almost teenagers. Um, 
But so 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 they they do prayers together. They pray for one another. And then the Bible reading portion isn't just the daily office. They don't do that. They they read like a book of the Bible all the way through together in pieces and like they you know jump around to different parts of the bible and then they sort of pick up the from godly play the idea of wondering together about scripture and so it it offers the opportunity to to read scripture with their children and then they have questions about the scripture in fact one one morning when i was staying with them um they were reading um a pa- one of the passages where paul um, talks about how women cannot, like, shouldn't, I think we're reading Ephesians, we're reading Ephesians 5, and so we were encountering that, like, wives submit to your husbands, um, like, those kinds of teachings, and their eldest son was like, what is this, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and, like, had a whole bunch of questions, and so, like, because of where he is at in his, like, age and development, like, then they're having, like, we're having a very theological, like, nuts and bolts conversation with him, but they, they've kind of um, immersed their children in scriptures over time so that it creates both, like it has, it has that aspect of ritual. It has a more didactic feel that you're sort of systematically walking through parts of the Bible together as a family. Um, so you're learning the Bible and then it, it, it gives their children what they need to then ask those questions someday. And then they're asking those questions to their parents and not their like friends in college. Right. Um, and so I think... <laughs> I think it's both. Um, yeah. And, and it is really hard to start those things as a family. But I, I think like with silence in a small group, you're just going to have to lean into it That's and know right. that it's going to hurt for a while first. <laughs> I think to kind of circle back to like our opening question, right, about the importance of content and my like hyper emphasis on methodology I think the advantage of doing things as a family or one of the things you lean into is making your process as a teacher, whether you're a professional theologian, whether you're you're just a, a parent who loves Jesus, making your process incredibly transparent. Mm. So rather than it being about talk to me and I have the answers, it's like especially if you're someone who doesn't who doesn't have like extensive biblical training or if they just if a kid asks a question that hits one of your gaps, I mean, all of us have stuff that we're like, yeah, I don't know anything about that. Um, or I, I have, I know just enough to know that I don't know anything about that. Um, <laughs> being able to say, okay, that is an excellent question. And you know what? I'm not sure. Let's, let's find out about it. Um, so I think. Isn't that what the Apple like genius bar people do? Isn't that their response? Like if they don't know, I've heard people who've worked with Apple say <laughs> that, that's that what they do. That's their, that's what they do when they don't know the answer that a customer has. They say, "I don't know, but let's let's find out together." Yeah, um, and uh, I actually I feel think like that's a really good philosophy for <laughs> parents and and even us as youth workers. Yeah, <laughs> that works yeah, in so lots I think, of contexts. I think it's super good to to choose which passages you're you're talking about and choose what what you're focusing on in youth ministry and in with with parents as you're raising kids saying okay i want to make sure we cover all the cover the whole canon make sure we get we focus in and give you know in my little phrase a gospel interpretive priority let's make sure we're spending enough time in the gospels that those become the lens through which we see the rest of scripture um, and understanding it in the context of the rest of scripture so intentionally choosing 
what gets into your rotation. But at the same time, as you read, like, I love that godly play wondering stuff. Um, I, I love that whole, like, I wonder about this. For me, it's been really exciting as we've been going through um, the the gospel of Luke with, with our, our son, Luke, just this idea of like, I'm noticing things and I'm at least trying to model to him like, hey, I don't know about this. And it's, <laughs> it's actually super fun when Joy and I have like a different take on a passage and he gets to watch, we get to model for him like, yeah, mom's kind of looking at this and like, that's super cool. I kind of look at it this way um, to sort of even model discussion. We're not like diametrically opposed to something, but it's it's like modeling that for them, I think becomes a really helpful thing for him to see because now he's seeing that the Bible study is complex and it's good to have lots of different viewpoints. Um, but there's a reason why we're going to the gospel first. There's a reason why, why we picked Luke's gospel as a starting point. Cause I, I didn't want to start in Leviticus, um, as curious as that might've been. Um, and as important as all scripture is, um, it's, it's good to choose what you're, what you're doing. And really, I think this curriculum stuff ought to be done on a on a whole church level. In one sense, that's been done for us in the lectionary. But I think um, it can be taken farther and more specific in like local church contexts, what your parish needs, um, how to approach it with them. Um, so in tandem with the lectionary, with a larger plan for what your pastor has in mind that ought to be taught on a cycle um and even the church calendar like the church calendar partners with us in um yeah. like this kind of journey too so these are all different tools that we can use on all of these levels we're talking about family youth church um to help us learn our faith <laughs> mm-hmm well, let's let's do our takeaways. What is everyone like going to take away now? So, I uh, I'm concerned that this is one of my takeaways from a previous episode, and it proves that I have not implemented it yet. Uh, <laughs> but the the importance of figuring out resources for families, right? Like that's an that's an element of ministry that I find is easy to end up discarding because it's not it's not in the, the sort of weekly machine of churning out what am I going to do this week for youth group? Cause there's not an event at which I need to fill the content with, or I need to like fill the, this weeks of youth group with something. Um, family resourcing is a thing you have to do sort of on the side. Um, but I do think it's really important. Um, and I, I realize now that I'm discovering that there may be some of the parents of my students who listen to our podcast, you can all, hold me accountable to it and <laughs> be like, Andrew, we need resources. Um, but yeah, I think that's helpful because that can, and making sure it connects with what we're doing on a weekly basis so that, so that the, so that the youth ministry is partnering and working in tandem with what's going on at home. Yeah. Um, I, I think, go ahead. I think my takeaway, um, yeah, is that I, I've, I've talked about this, like, my, my content and curriculum visions a lot in a lot of places. And I think maybe um, my takeaway is that I'm going to refine my message to talk about love. 
Because <laughs> I think maybe that's where 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 Andrew's vision and my vision actually meet. Um, yeah. And, and like that's kind of the like what ultimately um, like roots us in what we're doing. So I'm going to be working on my message of love. <laughs> Well, I think this conversation is really relevant for me because in the next week, I'm supposed to plan our nine topics for our Sunday encounter program. So um, that's basically, it's like, ah, I'm going to put some extra thought into what are those topics that are really essential that we cover in this context where we're all together. Um, in addition to, you know, what can be covered in home, in one-on-one with families, all those things. So that's going to be really helpful. Just be thinking about that. And I was already, our theme for this year um, is going to be what does it mean to be a Christian? And so I'm already kind of looking at these kind of foundational things. So I'm hoping that I can find a way to kind of create nine meaningful topics that can then also then lead into productive conversations, which is sort of that like the both and that we're shooting for. So um, yeah, this conversation will be really helpful for me just as I finalize those plans for this semester. Thank you for joining us today on the Ordinary Youth Ministry podcast. You can find our podcast online at OrdinaryYouthMinistry.com and at OrdinaryCast on social media platforms. You can also contact us directly with any questions, comments, or ideas at OrdinaryYouthMinistry at gmail.com. We hope this conversation will help you impart a joyful and enduring faith to your teenagers. See you next time.